Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finding the Guardian of Your Soul. I'm Lisa Shield, and it's lovely to be here with you. Today, I am going to talk about the paradox of perfection, why striving for flawlessness could be derailing love. And this topic, usually I look around at what's going on in our groups and our coaching programs with the women that we're working with. And I try to observe themes that I feel are relevant, um, especially one of the things that I'm noticing is that whenever something kind of upsets me, wherever I start to feel a little disturbed about a pattern I'm noticing in, you know, with my clients or something that other love coaches are saying, and it really ticks me off. It usually means that that's a topic I need to cover in a Facebook Live or on a podcast episode. So here we are. <laughs> Lately, the theme that's been coming up with a lot of clients is this idea of perfectionism and control. So along with perfectionism come, you know, I think, or what I'm observing is underneath that is a lot of desire to control people and circumstances and even oneself, right? So what I'm seeing is a, these, a lot of women who are very, very strong and successful, they have built identities around being go-getters, the kind of women who can just get things done. They hold themselves to what I think are impossibly high standards. And then when they get into relationships, which are unpredictable, they're unknown territory, and they can trigger a lot of insecurities and bring certain unattractive behaviors to the surface, when that happens, they have to face things about themselves that they don't want to face and see behaviors that may be childish and immature, demanding, controlling, and then they start, they, they push men away. So this is a really unfortunate pattern. It's hard to watch women going through it because we see sometimes relationships being blown up unintentionally, but because they can't get what they want or get the guy to do what they want. And it's so uncomfortable for them not to be in con complete control of the situation that sometimes what happens is they may sabotage something and then regret it after the fact. And what I see is sometimes how hard these women are, not just on men when they don't get what they want, but then how hard they are on themselves when they have to look at their dark side, or as some people say, their shadow side. I happen to believe that dating is one of the most incredible experiences we can go through so that we can work out and work through these behaviors. And I think it takes a lot of courage for a woman to do that. Most of us have these fantasies that we're just going to meet the right guy. Everything's going to line up. 
and we're going to live happily ever after. And it doesn't work that way. If there are things that you're doing wrong, if they're, well, wrong, I'm just going to use that word. If you're behaving in ways that are manipulative, controlling, demanding, needy, and a man feels like you're trying to get your happiness at his expense, a lot of these guys just are not going to stick around. They're going to say, this is too intense, this is too much work, and they're going to walk away. And it doesn't mean that these men are all avoidant. It doesn't mean that they're emotionally unavailable. In some ways, these guys might actually be very emotionally available, but they don't feel heard themselves. They don't feel with certain women like there's room in the relationship for them. And so a lot of guys just stop calling they or they break off relationships or things explode and then they get a real sense of what the relationship is going to look like down the line and they walk away and these stories that we women tell ourselves like well if he really cared or if he really was in love with me then he would give me another chance but I know for myself, once I started to really get clear about relationships and human behavior, there was a certain level of emotional intelligence that I had achieved within myself and that I expected from a partner. And when I saw certain behaviors and I saw the writing on the wall, once I got clear about how emotionally intelligent a man was, I would walk away and I would just cut my losses. I had a man right before I met Benjamin, I'd never heard the word avoidant before. It was way before I read the book Attached or Men Who Can't Love. And he was so egregious. He started, you know, in the beginning, he pursued me. And for a number of reasons, I thought that this might have been my guy. I decided to go for it and give it a chance. And very quickly, he started to exhibit what I now understand is avoidant behavior, avoidant personality disorder. And he started to pull away, get hot and cold, distance himself from me, and This only happened over the course of six very short weeks, but six very intense weeks because we took a vacation together during that time that was miserable. And once I got clear on what was going on, that this person just was not ready to have the kind of relationship I wanted, I cut it off. There was no going back. And he did reach out to me a couple of times to try to reconcile after I ended it. And it was a clear, hard no for me. Now, a lot of women, a lot of people would say, yeah, but shouldn't you have given it a chance and whatever. That kind of behavior was so extreme and so egregious that, and so hurtful. You know, it was really hurtful what he did and how he attacked me and did this character assassination of me that I just thought, you know, 
I don't want to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't like me. And I didn't, I thought that these behaviors were so deeply ingrained that it would have taken years of therapy for this man to change if he could have, you know, if he even could have. And I just wasn't willing to go through that with him. I'd been in a 13-year marriage with my ex-husband who in the very, very end, I realized was a pathological liar. And I knew by that point that somebody had to show up, you know, as they say, he had to be in move-in condition. Like I did not want another fixer-upper and I knew I wasn't a fixer-upper anymore. So I walked away and I can see where certain behaviors are just like writing on the wall. They're like, ne- it's like neon signs for men, you know, get the hell out of here, run as fast as you can. And these behaviors, as much as, you know, we want to think, oh, I'm so spiritual and I'm on a personal growth path and all. One of the problems is that when it comes to falling, you know, in love, surrendering to a relationship and to a a partnership with another person, it can be so frightening for some of us that we really do get so scared in that process that we become intense, like the intensity that I see some women exhibit is just it has to short circuit men, you know, and what often happens is when things derail, when you're in it, you know, when you're in it and you're trying to reconcile and work through things, that's one thing. But then once things derail and and one person sits back and really sits with what's going on, they can start to see that this is much deeper than they thought, and that it's probably better to cut their losses and leave rather than keep trying and waiting and seeing if something can, you know, get worked out. So a lot of women in the corporate world especially are conditioned to chase milestones relentlessly, you know, as they go up the corporate ladder, it has rigorous metrics of success And it often pushes women to adopt a very masculine orientation to their lives. They become, you know, very determined and they have a goal-oriented mindset. And what happens is this becomes the way they start to do their personal relationships as well or their romantic relationships. And when that pursuit, that mentality of achievement spills over into their love lives, you know, it can make it very, very, very challenging for men who don't want that in their love lives, in their relationships with women. They get that all day long at work with other men in in the corporate world, and they do not want to have that kind of dynamic with a woman, they don't want everything to feel like a nego- like a business negotiation, 
women very often, you know, subconsciously, you know, might not even realize that they're setting agendas when it comes to love and that they're really doing the same thing in work. Like they have these goals. I want to get engaged after a year. I want to get married a year after that. I want to start having babies at, you know, at this point, I want to buy a house. I mean, a lot of women are, they have these very specific goals and milestones and they come into a romantic relationship and they start pushing that agenda and a man can feel it. And there's nothing organic about that. A man may need more time. He may move more slowly than a woman. He may feel that he's gone through a divorce or other bad relationships and he needs time to see if this is the right partner. And a woman who has an agenda and milestones that she's trying to hit may miss all of that and not make room for a man who may be moving at a different pace and maybe looking for different signs than she is of whether or not she's the right partner for him. And when they have this perfectionism facade, a lot of these women start to take it personally when a man isn't moving at her pace and saying and doing the things she feels he should be by certain, you know, by a certain time. And then what happens is that woman can start to get manipulative and controlling. And it doesn't feel for the guy like this relationship is progressing naturally. He starts to feel manipulated and boxed into these predefined roles and timelines. And it actually starts to have the opposite effect of what she wants. She starts negotiating, she starts getting anxious, and it really will derail all of this. One of the hardest things, I think, for anybody, anybody, woman or man, to understand is that there really is this incredible spiritual component to developing a romantic relationship. And if you do not respect the spiritual tenets of how this has to unfold, there are no timelines. There is no agenda. You know, it really is a much more spiritual dance than a, a, a timeline, right? An agenda, a calendar, milestones. Before I met my husband, I had been doing a lot of personal growth work. One of the mistakes I see many people make with personal growth work is that they get it intellectually, they get it conceptually, but they don't really live it. They're not really applying it to their day-to-day -day lives and using those tools to evolve themselves. So when I was doing this work, I was in a group with Don Miguel Ruiz and I got my master's in spiritual psychology. I was in a 12-step program. All of these things were spiritual uh, paths, each one of them. 12-step, my work with Don Miguel, 
and my master's in spiritual psychology. And what I realized at some point when I was doing all this work was that the epiphanies I would get where I would go, aha, I get this. It makes sense. I understand it only were good insofar as I then implemented whatever insight or breakthrough I had into my way of beingness, right? My way of being. And so I focused more on how do I put these spiritual principles into practice? And when I met Benjamin, love wasn't about an agenda. It was this beautiful spiritual dance. My goal was not to find a soulmate or a partner or a companion. My goal was to find unconditional love. That's what I wanted, a truly unconditionally loving relationship. And when I looked at almost all the spiritual paths that I had been going down, I realized that every single one of those paths was a different way of reaching unconditional love. And I had always thought unconditional love was some ideal, but it wasn't real. And I began to see that, no, this really was real, but that in order to have or receive unconditional love, I had to first be willing to give it, which meant I had to find a man who I respected, who I admired, who I didn't want to fix and change, and who I could accept exactly the way he is. And I know that's not and doesn't sound like an easy thing to do, but I had to let go of my own inner critic. I had to let go of my perfectionist facade that I was, you know, this perfectionist thing that I was running on myself. And I had to look at how do I love and accept myself? How do I make room for myself to be human, to be fallible, and still love myself even with all my imperfections? And so there were two sides to this coin. Number one, finding a man who I expect, expected, respected and admired felt was my greatest teacher, and also to be able to humble myself, accept my own flaws, and be able to love myself, especially in the moments where I made a mistake, right? And not expect myself to get it right all the time like I had in the past. When I did that to myself, it was almost impossible to grow because there was a time where I was so incredibly hard on myself. I beat myself up so badly over every single little misstep that it made it impossible for me to take risks and chances. And that's the only way we're going to learn and grow is to get out of our comfort zone where we don't have all the answers, where it's not safe, and be willing to not bungee jump and jump out of airplanes, those may be thrilling things to do, but it's just as thrilling to step out of your comfort zone in your own life and risk, right? Take risks and step into unknown territories and see 
what you're made of, right? And so I started to learn how to do that. And part of being able to make it safe for me to do that meant that I had to be willing to fail. I had to be okay with failing and not feeling like a failure when I did. There's a difference between failing at something and feeling like a failure. So right now we have this beautiful, beautiful woman going through our program. And instead of saying, wow, I, you know, that didn't work or I made a mistake, she basically defaults to feeling like a failure. I'm not getting it. It's not making sense. Maybe I'm not coachable. And so she sets herself up not, you know, she sets herself up to fail, but because she keeps telling herself she's a failure. And I see other women do this too. They make a mistake. They, you know, they do something that they feel ashamed or embarrassed of, and then they beat themselves up and feel like failures for what they did. And it's the self-flagellation, you know, the self-punishment that makes it so hard to be them. Like, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to get it wrong before we get it right. It's just how it goes. Like, you cannot master having a relationship like I have with my husband and have had for 21 years without making a lot of mistakes and learning what works and doesn't work. I mean, I had a hell of a time in relationships. I was bullied, teased. My mother and father were incredibly, and my grandmother, when my mother passed away, were incredibly critical, judgmental. They were hard on me. My brother teased me. You know, the kids at school teased me. I had to find my myself. I had to love myself, no matter what other people were saying. I had to learn that, you know, maybe there were things I did that turned people off. Maybe I'm not perfect, but I there was a time in my life where I was walking on eggshells and tiptoeing through life because I was so afraid to make a mistake you know, and when I did draw attention to myself, a lot of times I attracted the wrong attention. And so I finally just decided to love myself and be kind to myself and really learn how to be with myself in my darkest times. I learned how to say, Lisa, look, you tried. You really tried. You gave it your best shot. You, we all have blind spots. There are things we don't know we don't know until we do. And nobody, nobody can get it right 100% of the time. It's impossible. And if you're going to learn and if you're going to grow, then I'm going to be loving and kind, and I'm going to be that wonderful mother, that loving and accepting parent to you that you never had. And I started to talk to myself 
with this kinder voice. In fact, I actually developed this uh, persona, the, this character. Uh, I called him my spirit, spiritual guide in my program, in my 12-week course. When my clients do this, they call it their naked dater. But I actually consciously created this spiritual guide. I thought, why do I want to talk to Jesus or Buddha or whatever? I'll just make up my own spiritual guide, which was really my higher self. And I started to have conversations with that part of me. His name was Pantangeli. And, you know, and I would sit and meditate and talk to him about all the things that were going on, the things I didn't understand. Um, and he would give me wise advice. He was this little Indian guy. He looked like a cross between Gandhi and Merlin. And he, he was light and funny and he made me laugh. And he helped me talking to him, doing these meditations with Pintangeli helped me find that voice inside myself, that loving part of me so that I didn't have to beat myself up the way my mother and my father and the kids at school had done. And what happened was it became a whole lot more beautiful inside my own head. It wasn't some like positive, you know, thinking kind of mentality. Pantangeli was very honest and real, but he was, you know, he was also very loving and caring and, and compassionate with me. And so I developed that part of myself by doing these meditations and I became kinder and kinder with me and much more accepting. And that's what made it possible for me to navigate a relationship with a man like my husband, because, you know, here's the thing, Benjamin is the kindest and most loving person I've ever known. And he wouldn't be mean or hurt a soul, but he's also the strongest person I've ever met. And he has impeccable boundaries. And if I would have been careless and messy emotionally, he wouldn't have been mean to me, but he would have walked away. He wouldn't have put up with it. And, you know, I could have sat there and said, well, if he loved me or he cared about me, you know, he should have given me another chance. Well, no, I would have respected him for not letting me treat him that way. And love doesn't mean that you accept emotional abuse from another person or that you sit around and wish and hope and pray that somebody, you know, can get it and grow up in time, you know, to have a relationship with you. Growing up, getting it can sometimes take a long time. And those triggers, those trauma responses can be very, very, very deep. And it's not like, you know, something just happens and you instantly work it all out and stop doing those things. It doesn't work that way. And some people who are really um, emotionally intelligent and evolved 
They just don't want to wait for somebody else to get it. Look, it took me years, years and countless hours of work on myself to get to where I am today, where I don't take most things personally. I used to be the walking wounded. I mean, I was a target. I thought I had a target on my back and everybody was out to get me. That was my story. And now, sure, some things affect me. Sometimes there's a nasty client or somebody who's just egregious. And it's like you feel like you've been slimed by somebody else's negativity. And that, you know, there are those moments where it's like, wow, that's person's living a miserable life. I just had an incident like that with a woman um, who signed up to do our course. And then it's very, very rare when something like this happens, but, you know, she wanted to back out and the way she handled it was just awful. I mean, it's, it, you know, what it tells us is why she's still single There was no need for her to come at us the way she did. I mean, all she had to do was say, look, you know, this isn't the right time. I don't feel like I can concentrate on the program. And would you please consider giving me a refund? It would have been that simple. And instead, if you all had seen the messages she had written, it was like, whoa. And it just came out. I mean, we had done nothing to warrant that kind of attack on her part. So that's what was so um, disarming about it. But of course, I mean, I had a day where I was just, uh, you know, I was a little shaken by it, but I knew it wasn't personal in the end. I knew that this is how this person goes through life. So learning how to navigate all of this and being able to be an adult, a loving Um, emotionally intelligent adult in a relationship starts with letting go of this need to be perfect. The idea that you even can be perfect and perfect according to whom? We have a client right now that if she had taken a deep breath and not been so reactive and if things hadn't, you know, just been so magnified in her, you know, in her head. And if she had been more measured, things would have gone differently between her and the guy that she's seeing. But because she wants things the way she wants them, you know, she wants it to be according to her perfect plan that works for her, but wasn't working for him. And every time something came up, there was just this incredible, severe reaction when she couldn't control the outcome to the point where she blew up the relationship. And now they're having to see if this is going to work or not. It's a heartbreak because she's one of the most beautiful, intelligent women I know. And my fingers are crossed In her heart of hearts, she wants this to work out. And I hope to God that there is an opportunity, uh, you know, a second chance and that she can. I know she's got everything it takes to be able to work through this. 
And, you know, sometimes you have two wounded people and when something gets triggered for one, it triggers something for the other person. So we'll see, but you can't be in a guardian of your soul relationship and try to be perfect. I think the reason why Benjamin and I have such a perfect relationship is that neither one of us tries to be perfect. We really try to be loving. We try to consider each other in every moment. We look at what's best, you know, for the relationship. We want what's best for each other. And we both know that no matter what, there's nothing that we would want the other person to do that would be at their own expense. I don't want to get my happiness at Benjamin's expense. I want Benjamin to do what's right for him. And I want to know what's right for him. And I want to see if I can always meet him. You know, we always seem, because we want have each other's best interest at heart, and we have the best interest of our relationship at heart, we're able to very gracefully navigate, you know, always back to center. And we don't drift very far away from that ever because we don't want to be perfect. We want to do the right thing for one another. And we, we don't have any agendas. You know, when we came to Santa Fe during the pandemic, we moved here. We didn't move here. We actually came on vacation and there was something inside of me. I just wanted to get out of LA. I didn't know if we'd move or what would happen, but I thought maybe a, a move, a change would be a good thing. And at first, you know, Benjamin, I wanted to come for three months. He wanted to come for a month. I think we compromised on two months. And then he said, call the Airbnb and see if we can stay another month. And little by little, he started to really fall in love with Santa Fe. And it became, it was always in the back of my mind that maybe we would move here. But then he's the one who said, let's go look at some houses. LA is getting further and further away in the, you know, in the the um, rearview mirror. And here we are, you know, we've been here almost three years now. And it was just the most beautiful, fluid decision for both of us. We never even had a conversation about, about it. We just both, you know, came towards the center and bought a house and have created our own little paradise here. So I would really start to look at your perfectionism. I think a lot of women have it. My husband and I were talking about why that is. And uh, part of, you know, one of the things that came up when we were talking yesterday about this was that many, you know, women are often taught that men are going to pursue them. And so in order to be pursued, women have to be the bait. We have to, and so within that mentality of getting a guy to pursue you, it's like, well, how do I make myself, how do I be pretty? How do I have all the, meet all the standards, you know? So women often wind up putting on an act or a facade 
so that they can become a stereotype of what they think men are looking for. And then the saddest thing is they may capture a guy's attention by following that advice and becoming bait in that kind of scenario. But then what happens is when a guy, you know, when the chase is over and the real relationship begins, you're not bait. You're not a stereotype. You're a real human being with needs and wants and desires and emotions. And, you know, sometimes that does get messy. And so a guy thinks he's getting one thing and then he sees the real you and that doesn't work. So you can't do that. One of the most beautiful things I read lately is that relationships should not be set up on this, you know, pursuit mentality. Like a a guy, you know, men love to chase women. There are some men who do love the chase. Look, a man is going to have to work to get your, if you're a beautiful put together, you know, woman who's got a great life and all, and you really are a prize. If you're hard to get, you're hard to get by nature of who you are. You don't have to play hard to get, right? Do you get that? Like I was hard to get, I had high standards. I didn't have to make a game or a manipulation out of that or pretend, you know, do I text him or don't I text him? What do I say? You know, all that stuff. I didn't have to do that. My standards were so high that the guy that was going to get, was going to capture my attention was going to be an amazing guy. So I didn't have to put on a game or let a guy chase me. Having said that, real relationships should be based on mutual interest. Two people who genuinely see, wow, we have a lot in common. This is something worth exploring and not just chemistry. You have to be building not just physical chemistry, but emotional chemistry, real connection. And you have to give that emotional chemistry time to build before you act on the physical chemistry. So that's what real relationships, real mature adult relationships are built on mutual interest, not a man chasing a woman. When I met Benjamin from day one, if I wanted to pick up the phone and call him, I did. If I wanted to invite him to go to an event or something that I was going to, I did. I didn't call my girlfriends and say, do you think it's too soon? Does it Will he think I'm chasing him? Do you think it's going to look like I'm desperate? Bullshit. He didn't think that for one second. In fact, when Benjamin and I first met, I was incredibly busy. I had uh, an importing business. I had a friend coming from Great Britain to visit with his sister. I was busy. And in order for Benjamin to even find time to see me, I had to include him in some of my plans or it would have been weeks before we could have gotten together. And so I said, look, I have a friend coming from Great Britain. You know, would you like to join us? There was a meditation I wanted to go, you know, we were going to go to. I said, do you want to come to this meditation? And it was just very fluid. It was two grown adults 
who really liked each other, getting to know and explore what was possible. So let go of your perfection, let go of your agendas, stop thinking that there's a perfect way to get the guy and be you, be real, be authentic, love yourself, stop setting these impossibly high standards, start making it a joy to be in your own head. Learn how to love yourself, to speak to yourself with grace and kindness and compassion, especially when you get it wrong. Because you know what? We're going to all get it wrong. And the more pressure you put on yourself, the more the intensity builds. And the more the intensity builds, the bigger messes you make. So start being kind and gentle and self-accepting so that you're a pleasure to be with and be around. And men, wonderful men will come into your life. And hopefully you'll find your Benjamin. I'm Lisa Shield. I would love it if you would go to my website, lisashield.com. You will see a button there all over the website. Click it. That will take you to my free 45-minute presentation. If you watch that and you like what you hear and you really want to get this solved, you're sick and tired of troubleshooting and reading book after book and thinking you're going to figure it out on your own and you want a proven plan that worked for me and hundreds of clients like me, then please click the stay to the end of that presentation so you can book a call with a member of my team and find out how we can help you find the guardian of your soul. You can send us your requests for future topics to podcast at lisashield.com. And finally, give us a thumbs up, a like. You can also give us your feedback. If you like us, let us know. If you don't like us, let us know. Let us know how we can improve things. We're all ears. We don't just want, yeah, sure, do I want five stars? <laughs> Absolutely. But if you're not loving the, this broadcast, then please let me know how I can improve it. That's what I'm here for. I want to make this content as relevant as I possibly can. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you again. And tune in also for our other episode I do with my husband called Getting Inside the Right Male Mind. If you want to hear how a great man thinks, then you don't want to miss that broadcast. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.